0: Welcome to the HC Insider podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today, we're going to talk about electric vehicles. Just this week, GM made the monumental announcement that it was going to phase out gas and diesel cars by 2035. It seems and feels like the sector has reached a tipping point. And from here on, electric vehicles are going to be more and more prevalent on our city streets. However, this presents some challenges, particularly around the infrastructure required to support so many vehicles, not least the impacts on power grids, both in the developed and the developing nations. Joining us to discuss electric vehicles and the impacts on the energy and commodities world is Arkady Sozinov. Arkady is the CEO and founder of Freewire Technologies, an electric vehicle charging company. Arkady, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Paul. So I say, Before we dig into the, uh, the many aspects of this subject, can you just help us, give us an overview of the electric vehicle market, the state of the technology, just kind of help orientate us about where we are right now? Yeah, I'd love to. This is one of the
1: most exciting market transformations that, that I've ever seen in my lifetime, and I think that we will ever see. Um, it, it's been about 120 years in the making. I think stepping back a second, we have to remember that um, some of the first mass market vehicles on the road in the U.S. back in the 1900 to 1920s were electric vehicles. Detroit Electric was larger than Ford during a period of time, and we had more charging stations across the U.S. than, than gas stations um, in the 1920s. All of a sudden, uh, fuel, gas, petrol got cheap, and the Ford Model T took over, and that changed the course of history. Then we saw a resurgence of electric vehicles in the early 1980s with, with pilot projects with some of the automotive OEMs. Um, they, that didn't really go anywhere. Battery technology wasn't really sufficient to go the long distances that a combustion vehicle could go. We saw another mild resurgence in the early 2000s, but it wasn't really until Tesla came around, um, and partially due to the GM EV1 vehicle, but really Tesla coming around and, and showing people that these vehicles were were mainstream. And since then, we've seen a massive, massive rise in adoption. I mean, just to look at the statistics, um, last year in 2020, there was a decline in car registrations across the, uh, the UK and the EU, but electric vehicle registrations rose 130% year over year. And countries like Norway, half of all new vehicle registrations are electric. Um, in locations like California here in the US, I think 2% of vehicle stock is currently electric and it's it's rising pretty rapidly. So I think The market, the industry, investors and consumers already understand that over the next 10 years, we're going to see incredible adoption um, in electric mobility, um, electric
0: vehicles more specifically, and the age of the combustion engine is, is, is gone fascinates me the history of it yeah was, you know the the, the fact that this isn't new the same goes with hydrogen as well these technologies have been around it's been I think now we're at the confluence of market forces and societal pressure that, that you know this this feels like there's a tipping point you you've got three kind of as I understand it sort of pillars to this sector you've got the the customers themselves the, the drivers um, you've got all the infrastructure that's required to, to keep them on the road and then you've got also the the grids themselves to supply the electricity in both the cases of plug-in hybrids and 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 BEVs themselves the battery electric vehicles the teslas i know you spent a lot of time on this obviously in the creation of free wire technologies can you help us starting with the customers what how does that break down what are the segments what are what what who are the users of electric vehicles right now and and what what trends do you see
1: yeah that's an interesting one you know i would have if you asked me this five or ten years ago i would have said that fleets would have have been the first customer segment to adopt electric vehicles in mass. And that's not exactly what happens. What happened was it it was really a grassroots effort uh, with consumers, folks like you and I, and it started, uh, I mean, let's be honest, it started with wealthy individuals who own single family homes in places like California who were able to afford these $100,000 plus aspirational vehicles, the Tesla Model S, but it spread like wildfire. I mean, what was pretty evident in the electric vehicle industry early on is that it wasn't the automotive OEMs pushing them down onto consumers the way that they push SUVs down onto consumers. It was really, if you saw your neighbor driving a Tesla or any electric vehicle for for that sake, and you started to talk to them, you started to understand what their daily habits were like, the fact that they never had to go to a gas station again, the fact that the vehicle was quiet, was fast, um, never had to bring it in for service you know, you started to understand that your lifestyle um, was akin and attuned to, to going towards electric mobility. And so this started to spread throughout those neighborhoods. Um, and the growth of electric vehicles started really happening in, in, in consumers' minds, right? And I think if you, if you look at studies today, um, uh, to success, something like four out of 10 or five out of 10 consumers say that their next vehicle is going to be electric, right? So we're looking at that car registrations of of you know maybe you know single digit percentage points of new vehicles being electric, where if you look over the next three to five year cycle of when consumers replace their vehicles, I think the average vehicle lasts for seven years on the road. Um, it, the vast majority will be electric, right? And and that really started from from the consumer. Um, it wasn't, I mean, I'll be honest, it wasn't the automotive OEMs pushing that down. Um, the regulatory bodies helped with certain discounts on those electric vehicles, but those discounts still didn't bring them down to price parity with combustion vehicles. So it really was a grassroots um, effort from the consumer side. Then fleets now, now that becomes significantly more interesting because um, fleets, we recognize now what the issue was and and the fleets needed charging infrastructure, right? The, The fleets and before they never owned fueling infrastructure or right? the fueling infrastructure was, was the life of the oil and gas companies and the fleets relied on that. Now they know they can't rely on it and that they're going to have to own and operate their own charging infrastructure. So now they're starting to understand that better, you know, the vehicles that those fleets need, right? The, the step vans, the panel vans, um, medium and heavy duty trucks, the buses, they're starting to, to, to be released. And you see that every day. Proterra. um, you see it with canoe arrival, Rivian and and the like, even GM announcing, um, their new arm division. That's that's going to deploy electric vans to those fleet customers. Now the fleets are saying, okay, well, it makes perfect sense. And we're going to switch quickly because the economics work, right? My dollar per mile traveled is a fifth of that of combustion vehicle and and I can now deliver packages for a fraction of the cost that I could before. And, and so there's there is no reason why I should stay with combustion as long as I can figure out the infrastructure piece of it. So we see fleets as being a little bit of a slow start compared to consumers actually, but they're going to their velocity is higher. They're going to accelerate faster,
0: uh, pun intended, towards electrification. Even without a carbon price, right? Because I'm sure in you know in the ex- executive teams, you're thinking, well, a fifth of the cost right now. That that differential is only going to increase with you know the the expectation that we're going to start getting charged for these externalities around carbon. A carbon price is only
1: going to to improve that equation. It is already significantly more cost effective to operate electric. It is almost. Mm-hmm more cost effective to purchase electric vehicles compared to their combustion counterparts. You know, we're close to, to price parity now, but we're significantly cheaper to operate. And so the total cost of ownership is just much lower for an electric vehicle. So a carbon price would only serve to, to improve that equation and would only serve to accelerate that adoption. Mm.
0: Okay. So thanks for that on customers. Now we're talking about the, the other two pillars um, of this stool are our, um, the infrastructure both the charging sort of sites and stations um, as well as the i guess the the batteries themselves and then some of the challenges around you know urban environments and so on and then the the other pillar is the, is the grid both of these are going to be of, of great interest to our community and the, the listeners of this podcast as you know they in some way or another you know, this involves commodity businesses, whether it's, you know, oil and gas companies, whether it involves metals trading companies, whether it involves um, obviously the power operators and, and the power traders around the world. Can you and this is where I think there's, there's I, I find it fascinating um, just from listening to some of the presentations you've given around freewire tech. Can you help us understand charging of electric vehicles? Um, there's a lot of sort of, um, I think there's a bit of misunderstanding over there about how fast this happens or how slow it happens. And, and and there's lots of, um, health and safety issues. And, um, I found it fascinating that actually the limit to charging was pertains to the cars and the batteries, not the actual chargers themselves. Um, but can you just, what, what infrastructure do you need to have to serve this ever growing and rapidly growing population of, of EVs out there? And I I see those
1: two pillars as being very much interrelated, charging stations and and the utility grid. And And I'll talk about that. We've moved on as an industry. If you look five, six, seven years ago at the charging industry, it was mostly slow chargers, either in your garage at home or similar slow chargers in public locations or corporate workplaces. You might be an employee that works at Facebook or LinkedIn here in the Bay Area and you go to work and you plug into a charger that will take you eight hours to fill up, but you're there for eight hours, so you don't mind. You plug into that charger and, and you're good to go. That's a relatively mild consumption on the grid and, and the utility can generally handle that. Um, although, side note, once you scale up to hundreds or thousands of those chargers, for example, Google I think has 1200 or 1400 level two chargers on campus in Mountain View right now, that becomes a, a quite a significant problem for the utility to handle that kind of power consumption. But but leave the, those types of edge cases aside, level two charging, slow charging was fine, and the utility could handle that. But the market has changed. Consumers, and especially fleets, especially fleets, um, are not going to be satisfied with taking eight to 10 hours to charge their vehicles. Um, you're moving towards fast and ultra-fast charging. Um, for those that understand power on, on, on this podcast, fast means 50 kilowatts, ultra-fast means really 100 kilowatts plus. 50 kilowatts means you can charge a car in about in less than an hour. 100 kilowatts plus means you can charge a car in less than half an hour, but generally speaking, 15, 20 minutes is, is the ideal amount of time. And the power requirements for ultra fast charging are immense, absolutely immense. Um, uh, for those listeners that don't understand kilowatts, um, the example is if you have two Teslas charging in the parking lot of a, of a Walmart, they're gonna consume more power from the grid than the Walmart itself. And we can easily see a future where we have 20 vehicles in that parking lot charging, 200 vehicles in that parking lot charging. And so, and our utility infrastructure is not designed to deliver that kind of high power at the edge of the grid. We, we've designed as, as, a, as, a, as a country, as a nation, as a world really, a hub and spoke model for utilities where you have a lot of power generation at the central point and then you deliver energy pretty consistently to the end nodes of the grid. But you're not designed to deliver very high power to those end nodes. You're just designed to l- deliver reliable,
0: consistent energy. Quite, quite sensibly, because obviously at 100 kilowatts, we're not talking. You know, there can be quite a few safety implications around you know, consumers having that in their hands, right? Oh, absolutely. There has never been a time
1: in our history where consumers have ever touched a hundred kilowatts of power with their hand, right? Those kinds of power levels were relegated to behind, uh, fence installations on, on large kind of utility substation sites. Whereas now you're saying, Hey, consumer, take this hundred kilowatts of power, grab a handle and plug it into your car. It may be raining. You may be playing with your cell phone. It may be snowing, but, but you do that. and, and, The amount of risk that we need to account for as an industry to make sure that the consumer has not just a positive experience, but a safe experience is immense, is immense. And so that's a big challenge for all of us. And that's one that we at Freewire are addressing pretty significantly. Now, the back to the point of, of that power being difficult to deploy, I mean, it is. Utilities simply can't deploy hundreds of kilowatts to low numbers of megawatts to every commercial site you know your average gas station for example will have maybe a 40 50 to 100 kva service you install four ultra fast chargers and you're talking about needing a megawatt service coming to the site that's a order of magnitude larger more powerful service from the utility than they had before and what if it's multiple locations that are attached to the same utility substation. That substation is typically a 500 kVA substation, maybe a little bit higher, right? But it's going to be overloaded or is overloaded pretty quickly. And that, if you look at the folks in the industry, the folks that have been here for years, the folks that understand utility, that understand the energy, you cannot conceive of a future where the utilities are able to deploy the kind of infrastructure we need in the time frame that we need to really have widespread fast and ultra fast charging it cannot happen and we need to solve that problem
0: yeah because the it seems to me just reading you know in preparation for this um a lot of all the studies all the thinking has always been about this idea that it's going to be fine because everyone's going to be charging their cars overnight you know at, at low peak times or and so forth but if you're moving to this ultra fast charging world, I'm more likely to be charging my car during the day on the drive home from work for 10 minutes or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. So you it, it is it is a it is a absolutely central problem to scalability in the in EVs. Right.
1: The, it's a confluence of factors as well. Fleets are not going to be charging overnight. Right. They're going to be charging actively during the day as well. in in these these shifts that they have um, ride hailing. Uber, Lyft, and Grab in, in the Asian market, um, Didi, they're all moving towards all electric fleets. And those vehicles are gonna be charging continuously, 24 um, seven, and they need ultra fast charging because they're designed to make money. And so the, the ownership model around around vehicles has changed as well. There's a lot more ride sharing, ride hailing, a lot more fleet models. And that's, that's serving to exacerbate the problem around needing that fast and ultra-fast charging infrastructure. You know, at the end of the day, we don't all have single-family homes where we can charge our Teslas overnight. Um, that's not even the majority of the population. So we need to address the that majority that needs fast charging during the day.
0: Yeah. Is this a charging-led solution, or is this a battery-led solution? In other words, you know, are we just waiting for the battery technology to catch up so it doesn't need such high um amperage per hours or is is that going to pretty much remain static and it's around the charging piece and the and the grid stability and the grid requirements that we're going to have to tackle yeah it's the
1: charging and the grid piece the batteries are already there you know we have uh, 400 plus mile vehicles um some of the automotive manufacturers have already announced 500 plus mile vehicles on existing battery technology. And batteries will continuously improve over time, but it's not gonna be a revolution, it's gonna be evolution. Generally speaking, we're gonna see seven to 10% improvement in energy density and seven to 10% improvement in cost of batteries year over year. Uh, But those batteries need power from the grid to charge up, right? Um, And the grid can't support that. So our fundamental solution as FreeWire, and the way most people think about it in the industry is that we need to create a distributed network of of batteries on the edge of the grid, that what those batteries do is they trickle charge from the grid, they, they take in low power, existing infrastructure, you fill up those batteries, and then you deliver very high power to the vehicle when it needs it, right? Vehicles aren't charging on charging stations 24 seven, right? There's periodic ups and downs, fluctuations, and the battery absorbs that fluctuation and relieves that stress on the grid. Uh, that that model is is something that we've been pioneering at FreeWire for seven years now, and and now we we deployed this product and this technology commercially in six countries with over fifty customers, twenty Fortune one hundred customers, two dozen major worldwide utilities, two oil and gas companies, five automotive OEMs. But it's also a model that's been looked at by a number of different studies. If you look, McKinsey did a fantastic study about two years ago, and and, and also came to the conclusion that. You need buffer solutions at the edge of the grid to enable this, and 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 really, we're the first ones pioneering it. But we welcome others as they try to come up with similar solutions.
0: Yeah, I want to come back to free and that kind of infrastructure light model because there's lots more actually you can do with that. I've got a, a couple of questions. One is, is there sufficient power in the grid overall right now? I know this will be different per country, but take I don't know the U.S. or Europe to meet this demand. Or does it also actually, you know, even with sort of the balancing and, and stabilizing of using batteries at the edge, or does everyone actually do, uh, is the world going to need a lot more power to service an EV fleet of the future? There are two ways which we can
1: um, take this kind of fork in the road. If you continue with existing charging technology, which is that every time a vehicle plugs into, the, into a charger, that charger pulls lots of power from the grid. And if you start to look at data over hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of vehicles, you start to see a bimodal uh, uh, chart forming throughout the day. You see two large spikes of consumption throughout the day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. If you continue down that road, yes, we will need a lot more power. We're going to need that power from massive solar farms, from peaker plants, unfortunately, or from other types of generation sources. And, and more so than needing that power, because we know how to deploy that kind of generation. It's getting that power to the locations where vehicles need to charge, right? It's easy to set up a power plant in the, in the middle of the the desert outside of, you know, in Los Angeles, right? Massive solar farm, as far as the eye can see. But how do you get that to the shopping mall in the middle of LA? That's the problem that we haven't addressed. And I don't conceive of us being able to address as an industry without a, a battery buffering solution, like what we've done. And so the, then the question is, if you do have that battery buffering solution, and you're not requiring those massive spikes in power, and you don't need to upgrade that grid infrastructure all around our country and our world, then do we have enough energy right? Not power, right? Power is instantaneous, but energy is, is, is total capacity, right? Do we have enough energy? And the answer to that is clearly yes, we certainly have enough energy. We have so much energy right now that we're, we're burning it off, right? There's, there's if you look at Texas, the Texas market, right? When wind kicks in overnight, there's negative pricing of electrons. The utilities will quite literally, in the, in the ISO markets will quite literally pay you to take their electrons because there's so much of it. So, yes, we have enough energy. It's the power and the distribution of the power that's a problem. And that's what we're solving for.
0: Yeah. The other, um, just while we stay on kind of the infrastructure, and you obviously this is, um, you're going to have a whole slew of different locations where you can now charge your car, but one of which is going to be the traditional gas station, in quotes. I assume there's sort of um, a lot of benefits to Capturing the 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 um, customer for that 10 to 15 minutes rather than that two to three minutes in terms of charging time, do we see that at all?
1: There is, there is, and the retailers understand this. It is such a dynamic and fast-changing market because previously the the only place you could fuel your vehicle was at one of these petrol stations or one of these four quarts, right You had to go to an Exxon, a BP, a shell and and, and that's you, you were captured by that those market participants right. But now anybody can be a fueling provider. The Starbucks can offer you electric vehicle charging. And so you never have to go to a gas station again, that that retail customer that went to the gas station is now captured by that Starbucks. And it's not just the Starbucks, the supermarket, Whole Foods can capture you. The public library if they wanted to can capture that customer's time, right. And so you have so many different retail industries from coffee, to supermarkets, to entertainment venues, to, to post offices, I'll talk about that in a second with the Blind and Climate Action Plan, that are now trying to capture this consumer's time and eventually their dollars, of course. And the oil and gas companies, they see this as an existential threat, right? They, they have no advantage in terms of capturing that consumer if a Starbucks can deploy that charging infrastructure too. So how do they, change their offerings to be able to to keep that consumer coming to their sites right
0: yeah because i didn't i hear you say it's like a dollar a minute or something that they can that time on the forecourt or in in the gas station store so that's an incredible amount of revenue as you say that is now available to anyone who if they can (laughs) effectively provide you a charging solution that doesn't cost them (laughs) unbelievable amounts because you're charging at at the kind of quantities we're talking so that, that that's where again that battery solution comes in but that's an incredible opportunity out there for a whole host of, of um, businesses to take advantage of. It is, and that dollar a minute, that's
1: roughly the number that you would use for a big box store like a Walmart or a Costco. Um, but I think it's also applicable to fast food. I'm pretty sure it's applicable to to convenience stores and gas stations as well. That's the way we should think about it. Consumers will spend a dollar a minute in any location that, that they go to. And and so, really, time is money here. and. And getting that consumer to go to go to, to take the time that they spend at gas stations every week, remember every week, and and convert that into this new retail location is that's that's a blue ocean strategy for these retailers, and and they're leaning into it, and especially in places like Europe, if you look the announcements with the simple fast food, KFC, McDonald's, Burger King in the European market. They're deploying in Norway, McDonald's is deploying charging stations at every single one of their sites. Right? They see this opportunity. It hasn't quite kicked in too much in the US, although I can tell you that retailers are strategically thinking about it and are putting plans together, But, but it will.
0: Yeah. Can we move on to just a few minutes on the market itself, the market structure? Have we... With the announcements from General Motors this week, quite rightly, as you point out that, and pointed out to me, that that's a really one of uh, following many other organizations that are doing around you know, phasing out um, diesel and gas cars over the next 15 years. With the administration changes, have we hit a tipping point? Who are the major players in that market structure that are going to really accelerate the growth of electric vehicles?
1: The answer is clearly yes. I I could have told you we hit a tipping point several years ago. At that point, there would have been a few naysayers, but those naysayers have been quieted. And it's not just individuals like me saying it, the market is saying it. There's a reason why Tesla has an $860 billion valuation, roughly speaking, as of today. The market is rewarding companies who move to a decarbonized future, who are deploying electric mobility, but who understand the role that electrification is going to play over the next 10 years. So, yes, we've seen a tipping point, and it comes from a number of different directions. On top of the market, there's also the regulatory forces. Um, Europe launched a major uh, stimulus package as part of their COVID stimulus relief bills, but uh, a significant percentage of that was dedicated towards green infrastructure, charging stations, electric vehicles, subsidies of electric vehicles to consumers. Germany passed a rule in August of last year saying that every gas station has to have electric vehicle charging on it period. And Germany is the bellwether for the rest of the European market. We're as an industry, we're, we're expecting that places like the, the, the Netherlands, um, Sweden, Norway, eventually France, Italy will pass similar regulations. So there's going to be regulatory pressures and regulatory support monetary to, to move towards this electric mobility future. That's support is now coming down the pipeline. In the U.S., Biden on Tuesday announced his climate action plan, and I know this is a dirty word, but it looked a lot like the Green New Deal. I mean, let's be honest about that. And he—he's—he's—he's he's, he's also putting his money where his mouth is. Right? Um, there's going to be several trillion dollars allocated towards the moving towards a green future, moving towards a decarbonized economy. And promoting electric mobility as the core tenant of that and you see the investing committee recognizing this and picking up on it right what we talked about the market forces with with tesla's market cap but but really any investor is saying listen there's unlimited funds out there to move towards electric mobility the government has already said no matter what you do we're going to support it we know this is a core part of our strategy we're not going to divert from the strategy So we're going to support it with effectively unlimited funds and market participants, investors are saying, okay, well, we're going to put our funds in first because we know that they're backstopped by the, by the governments. And that's, what's happening in the industry right now. Money is flowing into, um, companies like ours company, any company doing anything around electric vehicles, any company doing anything around decarbonization and, and frankly, valuations are skyrocketing. That's no secret. And but there's real fundamentals underneath that. Right. This isn't just speculation. The fundamentals underneath it are that we have to convert our entire vehicle stock to electric roughly by 2035. Right. That's the target that most companies and most cities and, and, and states have set. Roughly by 2035, let's convert our entire stock of vehicles to electric. That's a massive challenge, massive challenge. We have to deploy the infrastructure necessary to then support all of those new electric vehicles. We have to revamp our utility system to be able to provide the energy and power in a timely and cost effective way. We have to create this entirely new workforce, labor force of folks that can service those electric vehicles, service electric vehicle charging stations. We have to then bring renewables onto the grid to be able to charge up those electric vehicles right the scope of the problem ahead of us is so big but the support consumer sentiment regulatory support uh, market and, and investment support is so large that we're all saying as a, as a, as a world really that we're going to tackle this challenge and there's going to be no stopping us and so the fundamentals
0: are really there so and and that um and I hear you i guess there's two two questions that come to my mind out of that which is First off, what's the role of the current oil majors in this transformation? And secondly, you mentioned the world. Is this something that you think is truly going to happen on a global scale? Or are we going to see this in, in the West, maybe China, and slow catch up elsewhere? And I guess that those two things are linked in terms of what the oil majors are going to do. Are they going to be supplying gas gasoline engines in, in the developing world as they lose markets or potential um, product share in, in the developed world? The oil majors have a fork in the road right now. An existential threat, and in ten
1: years, some of them will be wildly successful, and in, and some of them won't exist anymore. I, 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 it's hard for me to predict who that will be. Um, certainly, the European oil majors are more progressive and are moving faster towards the direction of of a, of a decarbonized future. Uh, BP, Shell, and Total are perfect examples of that. Uh, and for full disclosure, BP is one of our major shareholders. But 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 I'm talking to you, you know, from my my understanding of the market as a whole. Um, the automotive, the the U.S. oil and gas companies are a little bit further behind. Um, Exxon and Chevron have not made really significant steps towards a decarbonized future, um, and that's unfortunate. And and frankly, there's shareholder action against Exxon Mobil right now to to change their board of directors because they haven't really embraced that future yet. So so the role of the oil and gas majors. Um, these oil and gas ventures are trying to transform themselves into companies that not don't deliver just hydrocarbons, but deliver energy, right? So the, an oil and gas company, in the future can look like a utility looks today, um, and, and can look like a power generating company, right? With solar panels and with wind, they're not trying to replicate the utility infrastructure that we have today. They're not going to put wires underground and, and, and towers. But they're gonna do that in a in a smarter, more cost-effective and more distributed and cleaner way. And I applaud them for that. But there has to be a wholesale change, right? From the from the inside out. The the muscle memory that exists in the oil and gas industry today has to be broken. Every sinew in their muscle has to be broken. And they need to put themselves back together as an entirely new entity. And that's an incredible challenge for multi-billion dollar organizations. But they have to do it because the market is punishing them if they don't. Simply look at the market cap for the various oil and gas companies. They've halved in the last five years. Whereas the market cap of electric utilities that are embracing the future, like a NextEra, have doubled. Tesla has a larger market cap than than all of the European oil and gas majors combined. If that's not telling, I don't know what is, if they don't move and they don't put serious action behind this right now, they're not going to be here in 10 years. And, but the, but at the flip side of that, the opportunity is so massive. If they can get their hands around what a decarbonized future look like and be the thought leaders and deploy capital and move their customers, customers towards that, they can be bigger than they ever were in the past.
0: Yeah, this has its analogies with the transformation from carriages to cars, right, a um, hundred years ago. And those organizations that we I think we've all done the MBA study, right, that the reframe themselves not as a carriage company, but as a, um, a people transportation company. Um, and when you put that lens on, actually there's, there is that huge opportunity. Um, what, what about the world though, Is this is this gonna be, a global phenomenon or is that just, I'm just thinking of developing world, we're talking about stresses on grids in the developed world in the US, let alone what this would do in, in, in the developing world.
1: I, I think the, the problem is felt more greatly in the developing world. So places like India, they feel a need to decarbonize, right? There are, their citizens are actually dying. At, at ma- in mass at massive rates because of exposure to, um, wood burning stoves because of exposure to the smog that's created in these cities, the long-term health effects are going to crush these countries in terms of their, 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 um, uh, medical bills and their, and the, their cost of the, of that, of that medical system. And they recognize it, they see it, they, it's diff- more difficult to move them. Right. Um, China has done an effective job, right? China is the leader in electric vehicles today. They've converted entire bus fleets. they've converted entire cities to electrification. Um, I think they have more electric vehicle charging points, 10 to one than any other country in the world. Um, 10 to one, in fact, compared to Europe. So they've done an effective job. They still have a lot to go because they were one of the biggest polluters of the last few decades, and as well as India. Um, but they feel that problem more intensely. So uh, I don't, I don't, see this as being a national problem. I don't see this as being limited to the US and Europe. I see this as as being addressed on a global level. And I think with better relations under the new Biden administration, we can do it on a more concerted effort. Uh, but what's going to happen is that any countries that don't try to move towards a decarbonized future and are left polluting the world in, let's say 10, 15, 20 years, Again, markets are going to punish them, right? This is the world that we live in. There's going to be a flow of capital out of those countries. And if they can't attract capital, they're going to collapse. their investment their 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 central banks are going to collapse. Their, their currencies are going to 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 uh, uh, experience massive deflation. And so they recognize this not only as a, as a problem with their citizens protecting their citizens, which they do. They certainly do. They recognize this as a problem with with their capital markets in the next ten to twenty years. So, so there should be a concerted effort um, happening across all of these developing nations to to do something about it.
0: Yeah, and I think just a that whole piece, you know, there is that tipping point. And whereas previously people that I talked to would talk about we need the carbon price first, it seems we've just leapfrogged that with the new administration change here. You know, you've just seen this. It's it's basically all countries have chosen that they, this is the route that we're going to take. Yeah, the opportunities are tremendous. I, I want to move now on to to freewire tech, and I guess in the context of this infrastructure-like model. So I think we, we get the picture that you just, you know, the very visual idea that you can charging a couple of Teslas and it's using more than the power than the whole of the Walmart. You need to have this, the intermediate with batteries to balance loads and even add, add that stability to the grid. Can you talk a little bit about the actual, you know, what you've developed? And, and I guess it opens up a huge amount of opportunities for different people, different participants to to offer charging, and also a lot of partnerships available to different entities that are engaged in this, whether that's the vehicle manufacturers themselves or power providers, et cetera. Can you wrap it up in a, a bow for us what what the opportunity is with, with, with which you're trying to capture with FreeWire Technologies?
1: Absolutely. Um, so we talked about the problems with infrastructure. You know, the way to think about it from a... a a very core level is that if you're a a retailer and you have a hundred sites you will likely today have to disqualify any of those sites and and that you can't deploy charging on them and that's because of the lack of infrastructure currently on the sites or the fact that bringing new service in the utility is either not economic or impossible due to congestion upstream and so what our technology allows the market to do is to unlock the 90 sites that have been disqualified. We sit on existing infrastructure. You bring our technology, our chargers, we call it the boost charger, very aptly named. You bring it any power from the grid, whether it's 10 kilowatts, 20 kilowatts, whatever you have, the battery acts as that buffer, storing that power up and down, up and down. And when a vehicle plugs into a charger, you're going to get an ultra fast charge. You're going to charge up in 10, 20 minutes. And and that means if you're this retailer and you say, listen, I'm 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 bought in. I want that consumer to go to come to my site. I want to earn that dollar per minute. I need charging on this site, but I want to do it in in an efficient way. We have that solution for you and, and we're actively deploying it across the country and the world. Right? Our products, you know, we've deployed over 250 battery integrated chargers across the world already, across six countries from course, the US, but also in, in Japan and New Zealand and, and Thailand and Argentina and the UK. Um, our latest product, the boost charger, which is kind of our flagship product for the for the public and retail market, we've deployed that in five US states, you know, our first one will be live in, in the UK by in, in the next couple of weeks, you know, and recently we announced a, a contract with BP in the UK. Um, it's the largest EV charging contract ever announced in history. And, and it just goes to show you that that the technology that we've developed is is really a generation or two ahead of what else is on the market right now. And it is what the end state of charging looks like. And and our, our partners in the industry and the folks that have done this already, that have deployed charging and have felt that pain point of that infrastructure, they've they've real, they've recognized it and and they bought into the model that we've created and the technology that we've created and we're going to be deploying it at scale. So you know Freeware we as a company, we're going to grow tremendously over the next two years, both because of the market growing quickly, but also because the technology is so differentiated and provides so many value propositions that we're going to be growing even faster than that. Um, so I'm excited to see what 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 the next 10 years holds.
0: Yes, yes, as am I. I guess, and please don't feel like you contextualize this in, in, for free wire technologies, but one of the big challenges that I hear repeatedly, many of our, our clients are on the metal side of things, is scalability around just the the raw materials required for batteries. I think the uh, Apple and Tesla between them use 50% of the world's lithium. Can the world meet the demand we're going to need for all these batteries?
1: Yeah, you're right. Lithium. So one thing to know, lithium is plentiful, right? There is a lot of lithium on the planet. Um, but you're right that um, as you start to, to move towards 100% electrification, um, not just across the passenger vehicle industry. Remember, we're also electrifying planes. We're electrifying uh, construction equipment, medium and heavy duty trucks, railways, right? So there's batteries necessary, you know, everywhere. You will start to see a stress. The nice thing about lithium is that can be recycled, right? You can take lithium, recycle it, and use it into production of new lithium ion batteries. That process has not been perfected yet, mind you. There is no large scale lithium recycling company that can then feed that raw material back into the production of new lithium ion batteries, uh, which is unfortunate, but there are a lot of technologies and companies that are trying to solve that problem. And by the t- and we project that by the time this really is an issue, let's call it five to ten years down the line, these companies will be at production and at mass scale. So, so that's that's the positive thing to note there. And, and you're right, we don't want to create an entirely new mining industry that's larger than it is today to dig the lithium out of this out of this planet, but but the fact that it can be recycled so effectively on paper um, is showing some real promise for, for how to produce batteries five years down the line.
0: Fantastic. I, I want to just move towards the future. And one of the things is that it makes sense here in, in Houston where you know, there's lots of space and single-family homes and the capacity to have a garage and so on. you probably heard this a million times more than I have. But then you look at London or Paris or whatever, and most people, if they have cars, park them on the street with the advent of ai automation which is also disrupting the vehicle you know the the car world one of the things that you described that really just caught my imagination was actually there is this potential in the future of kind of um having the charging station come to you come to your car wherever it's parked right
1: there is so i'll I'll talk about the the near-term opportunities then i'll talk about a long-term vision um There are near-term opportunities for folks living in in the the urban areas like london and paris Um, and there are trials underway of technologies like that i mean we have a technology like that at freewire and and um, we've been doing mobile charging for like six years now right and and we were actually the leader in mobile charging and still are um for the across the world and so we've worked with automotive oems for example who supply an app to their customers, those customers press an app while they're sitting at home and and a vehicle shows up and charges their their car outside their house and then leaves and and that customer never had to interact with the vehicle. So there's there's some brilliant solutions there. Uh, Neo, which is a car company in China, um, has a similar offering for its customers. So uh, there's going to be offerings like that that come out. I think those are to cover some more fringe use cases, I'll be honest. Um, I think what we need to reach as an industry is that there needs to be charging available mostly, you know, ubiquitously so that, yes, your car is parked on the street, but next time you drive your car, you're probably going to drive it to the supermarket or you're probably going to drive it to the post office. When you get to that location, you're going to be able to quickly plug in without even thinking about it. And you're going to be able to charge a car to full by the time you walk out. So, and then you get to park back on your street when you get home. Mm -hmm. So the ubiquity of charging is really where we need to get to as an industry. And in the meantime, we're going to have... charging solutions that are available to come to you in order to bridge that gap and also to bridge the, the kind of mental
0: gap that consumers have of what if a range anxiety as I, I've been reading. That's right. That's right. If you can start multiplying where charging stations are held and having that embedded battery unlocks organizations or com- companies locations to be able to do that, because they're not having to dig a trench with a high voltage wire and all those issues in reality, just like with your, your gas car, you're going to be able to find opportunities to charge it throughout the day. And it's probably unlikely we're actually going to need this kind of, you know, um, the charger coming coming to you. I guess, finally, by 2035, what do you think the penetration of electric vehicles will be here in the United States or in, in Europe?
1: In most major economies, um, we'll call California, it's an economy, we'll call for example, in New York state, its own economy, the EU, um, I think you're going to see near hundred percent penetration of new vehicles sold that are electric. Um, I think there's still going to be significant existing stock of electric vehicles on the road that are combustion. Um, if I had to put a number on it, I'd probably say 80, 90% of new registrations for, uh, for vehicles will be electric and probably about 40 to 50% of the stock of vehicles on the road will be electric by that point in time. Um, which creates its own unique opportunity set for the companies that are buying to be major players in this industry. That includes companies like us, FreeWire, but that also includes the oil and gas, the utilities, the automotive OEMs, and in, in some respects, folks like insurance companies, right? autonomous and ride hailing, um, fleets, right? it creates a really interesting opportunity for them to, to be able to capture the different value stacks of that industry. I, I also see a transformation in many of these companies. And this speaks to some of the vision that I see for the industry by 2035. I'll, I'll use Tesla as an example because I think it's an interesting one for your listeners. Um, most people think of Tesla as an automotive company today. I, I fundamentally disagree with that. I think Tesla is vying to be the world's largest utility. And, and the reason I think that is look at their, their foray into the, the solar market, right? They're deploying solar panels in mass. They're deploying battery storage in homes. That are deploying utility-scale batteries with their Tesla power packs. And they're deploying software to be able to optimize that. Now, the vehicle, would you would you be surprised, Paul? I'll ask you this question. We'll turn the interview around a little bit. Would you be surprised if, in a few years, Tesla came to you and said, why don't you buy your power directly from us at the Tesla power bill? Forget about a utility.
0: Would
1: you, would you express to you that?
0: Yeah, I think what they'll be doing it'd be much more like you know, hey, don't worry about it. Pay me ten bucks a month uh, for your power, um, and 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 that's and, I'll, and you'll never have to pay more than that. But in the background, you've got Tesla doing all of the load balancing that's currently done by hundreds of organizations and traders. You know, making significant amount of money. I wouldn't be surprised at all, and I and I think that's where yes, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity to, for disruption to come from without the industry, as there is from within the industry. That's right. That's right. And, and I'll, I'll even project something
1: even more interesting. You know, Tesla has this beautiful, brilliant vehicle. You know, we've all driven, and we we all like it. I think the vehicle just becomes a way to transfer electrons from one side to the other, right? The utilities, the the, the old uh, utilities that we have, in our industry, they have wires. Tesla has cars, and they're not burdened by that aging infrastructure that the utility has to keep up, they can transfer electrons from one side to the other with, with vehicles, right? So you can imagine you drive your Tesla to the post office, you plug it in, you're near full, they might fill up that post office battery without you knowing. And so that optimization and using that vehicle as a conduit, quite literally as a conduit, I, I think becomes very interesting. And so I see a massive, massive disruption in this industry. And it's going to come from every which direction it's not and 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 again we talked about oil and gas a little bit but i think the utilities also need to understand that there is an existential threat ahead of them and and the business models have to change um, and freewire we're, we're also aiming to do something very similar right that's why I, I talk about that vision is is that we're doing the same thing for the cni space the commercial industrial space you know at the end of the day we're we're, we're not deploying chargers on our customer sites we're deploying large format batteries along with those chargers and our entire intention as a company is to start optimizing those batteries for the energy consumption of that site, optimizing with the utility, with the local generation, with providing resiliency services to that site. And would you be surprised, Paul, again, if in the future those CNI customers got a bill from Freewire for their utility? Exactly.
0: Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that vision. I think that's a um that lens on the entire How transformative this sector might will be i can hear our audience asking me to ask the question which is there is a rival for electric vehicles and there's a a fork in the road uh, as well and i'm I'm talking about hydrogen fuel cells which i know are essentially also you know they generate power one and hydrogen of course has the uh, advantage from at least the oil and hydrocarbon community that it's still a hydrocarbon uh, well, it's, it's still it comes is a product of their hydrocarbons. Where do you think hydrogen fuel cells sit in the transportation fleet of the future?
1: They absolutely have a place, and and from a technology standpoint, for the technologists uh, listeners in your audience, there's a lot of overlap with with hydrogen electric. I think you you understand that, but they absolutely have a place. I think they have more of a place in um, long distance trucking, so semi trucks, buses. I think hydrogen absolutely plays a critical role. But the market transformation piece of it, I, I think, still exists. Because think think about this way, I can produce my own hydrogen on my site. If I have enough solar panels, enough electricity, I can produce hydrogen locally. And folks are producing hydrogen locally in many locations right now. Some of them are using the grid to do that and, and the, the electricity costs there. Some of them are actually using natural gas and other ways to, to to create that hydrogen, but I can effectively create my own little microgrid, solar panels, wind, you name it, create my hydrogen, pour my hydrogen into my truck, bus, vehicle, you name it, and 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 go on. So there is some challenge for the oil and gas companies and utilities in how they think about that. Because they may not need to use the existing systems to transport hydrogen if we become efficient enough at, at creating it locally. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. And there's a, a number of, as you talk about, there's a number of projects on that at the moment. Well, it's been an absolutely fascinating discussion for me, uh, at the very least, and uh, really appreciate your time. I don't know if there's any final thoughts you have. I will certainly put a, a link to, to FreeWire Technologies and and. interesting things you're up to in the in the show notes but yeah one of you have any final thoughts for us yeah my final thought is that this is going to be the most exciting 10 years of
1: our industry this is what we've we've been waiting for for a very long time again i I said at the beginning i'll say it now this is the biggest industrial transformation of our lifetime everything will change from ownership models around vehicles how we move goods and services the role of utilities and energy companies and oil and gas companies the automotive OEMs and how they touch those customers. Retail strategies will change insurance companies will have to change their thinking. And, and we need to be prepared for that. Right. And so this, this is a really exciting industry. You know, I really welcome folks to take a look at this industry and and come join it. Um, we're always looking for great people, experienced people, Um, that have done similar impactful things in other industries to come join us because this is a a, a major, major, major movement and there's support from all levels from regulatory consumer industry and markets. So I, am just, again, extremely excited for where this is going over the next 10 years. Um, extremely anxious to see what this will look like in 10 years, but the underlying theme is that this will be a better future the decarbonized future is a better one. And if we can tap into the various value streams and be successful at doing that, I think it just serves to, to, to really move this industry forward and, and bring it to the mainstream. So thank you, Paul, for having me. And if anybody would like to reach out to me and ask me more questions, you know, I'm sure there's an easy way to reach me, which is LinkedIn, Twitter, any other way, and I'm happy to
0: answer questions. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for being a part of this. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and Human Capital, a search firm dedicated to the commodities sector, go to www.hcinsider.global, where you'll find more original content on the commodities sector and more details on our offerings as a search firm and our locations around the world. Thanks again for listening.